In Psalm 1611, David writes these words, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Today is Tishbaav, which is known as the saddest day on the Jewish calendar. It's not a, a holiday that is likely as well known to uh, Gentiles like myself. Uh, you may never have heard that um, of this holiday before. Uh, usually we're much more familiar with, pa- uh, with uh, feasts like Passover or Feast of Booths, Sukkot, you know, or um, Yom Kippur, things like this. Um, but uh, the, uh, the, the, the Day of Remembrance of Tish B'Av is actually, uh, again, the saddest day on the Jewish calendar because it commemorates what traditionally marks the day, the ninth day of Av, where uh, both the first and the second temples were destroyed, the first under Nebuchadnezzar in 587 B.C., and the second in 70 AD under Titus Vespasian. And uh, these two events, tradition holds, took place on the same day. Uh, it's, it's difficult to know if it was exactly the same day or not, but generally uh, uh, rabbinic tradition holds that they were. Um, and at the very least, this time of year, again around the 9th of Av, um, is a day that is generally associated in Israel as a day of, of judgment and mourning and such. And so this, uh, this day is a sad one in the hearts of many Jews. It's a day of remembering when their temple was destroyed, not once, but even twice. Um, and of course, the temple in Jewish life was the center of their society. It was the center of their religious practice, of course. Uh, it was the place where they gathered for worship. Uh, it was the place where offerings were made, offerings for atonement and things like this were done, as we read about throughout the Old Testament and that. Uh, and so when the temple was destroyed under Nebuchadnezzar the first time uh, and, and Israel taken into captivity, um, it, it, was a, it was, of course, devastating and crushing because the temple was destroyed and, and they were taken away. They were, they were taken uh, as slaves, essentially. And, uh, and, and of course, that meant that their lives as they knew them were over until God uh, deemed a time. Of course, prophetically, we understand that God had a timetable for these things, but until God deemed it time to restore them. Uh, and of course, uh, when he did, the second temple ultimately was built. Um, briefly, this is actually quite interesting history and it ties together what I'd like to talk about today. Um, after the destruction of the first temple, Solomon's temple, uh, and, and Israel was taken into captivity, eventually it came time that God was going to release his people from their captivity. He was going to uh, put it on the king's heart to let them go, and ultimately this is what happened. And under Ezra and Nehemiah, they supervise uh, both the physical, practical, societal building of the temple and and, uh, with Nehemiah. And Ezra uh, deals with sort of the spiritual rebuilding of Israel during this process as well. And the two of them are contemporaries working on this together. And as the temple begins to be built, there's great excitement. But over time, uh, the excitement and fervor kind of wanes and the work on God's house is kind of set aside. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, the prophet Haggai speaks to this and the main theme of Haggai is this concept of considering your ways. Is it really time to build your own houses? Is it really time for you to amass things to yourselves while my house lies in ruins, said the Lord. And so um, ultimately during that time, um, um, Haggai stirs the people up and, and they begin the work on the second temple. Well, during that time, the folks who were alive during the time of Solomon's temple, who now saw the second temple being built, the old men, uh, they began to weep because the second temple was nothing by comparison to the grandeur of Solomon's. 
uh, you know, all these decades earlier. Well, um, Haggai encouraged the young men uh, and encouraged Israel, really, but encouraged the young men not to lose heart in the work, but to press on because the glory of this latter temple will be even greater than the former temple. Now, that's a hard thing to imagine on a physical basis because Solomon's temple was magnificent. You know, the description of it is just breathtaking. Whereas this one is a much smaller thing. And so how in what way was it going to be greater and the glory of it to be greater? Because as the years went by and Israel uh, sort of became, uh, not sort of, as they were under Roman oppression, uh, Herod the Great built upon that temple that was built in Haggai's time. And Herod the Great built out that temple into a pretty magnificent structure itself. But even still, that wasn't the reason why this temple was going to be grander than the first temple. It was during the time of Herod's temple or this building upon Haggai's temple, the second temple time. It was this temple that Jesus, the Messiah himself, the savior of the world, would walk into those courts and he would teach in that area and he would do miracles around that area. But he would ultimately walk into um, that area uh, uh, in his own ministry. And so whereas you know the worship of God was at the very heart of the temple in Haggai's time and in Solomon's time, uh, in the time of Jesus, when, uh, uh, when he walks on the face of the earth, here God has now come to dwell with men. Uh, as a matter of fact, this whole concept of this, of this place where God would dwell with men, this, this really finds its roots in the very beginning of Scripture. But in terms of the temple, since we're talking about this particular uh, day of remembrance today, uh, it's helpful to remember the very original temple, the very first uh, tent of meeting, the tabernacle that they built uh, and, and, and sat in Shiloh for so long. God had given Moses not only the Ten Commandments when he was on Mount Sinai, but also uh, designs and instructions on how to build a, a structure, a portable structure, a tent with posts and, and, and fabrics and all these different kinds of things, badger skins uh, to, to cover it and all of these different materials, bronze, gold, silver, all these different metals would be involved as well in both the, the tabernacle and then the instruments for worship within it. Uh, and so God gave these instructions so that this structure could be built. And for all of its description and everything, the, the, the main purpose of it was that it would be a meeting place for God to meet with his people. And of course, he'd meet through Moses and Aaron, and then a priesthood was developed and all. But, but it was a place of meeting. It was called the Tent of Meeting. And as uh, this place would follow them around, uh, you know, when, when, the, when, the, when God would lead them, uh, it's hard to really not touch on some of these other things, but as God would lead them, uh, this, this glory of God manifested in this pillar of fire by night, and this pillar of cloud by day. As, this, as God's presence would move them, they would pack up the tabernacle and they would carry it and bring it to the next place as they wandered through the wilderness. And every time they would set up camp, um, they, they would set the, the tabernacle in the middle of the camp, and that's where the glory of God would dwell over it, and that's where they would meet. Now, interestingly, as you look in the book of Numbers and you begin to see how the camps of Israel were laid out and, and the positions that they were supposed to take, they didn't just sort of gather like a cloud around the temple or the tabernacle area, but in specific, they set their boundaries for each of the three tribes on each of the four sides of, uh, uh, of the tabernacle, three to the north, three to the south, three to the east, three to the west. Uh, when you look at the, those numbers, uh, the numbers of the camps as they laid themselves out in straight fashion, straight out from the borders of, of each side of the tabernacle, uh, you actually, from an aerial view, would have seen 
a picture of a cross. And at the heart of it, God dwelt right there in the midst of his people in this image in the Old Testament of what ultimately was going to be the unifying um, event that, that settled the issue between man and God, man's sin and God's righteousness ultimately at the cross. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. As a matter of fact, this concept of the tabernacle finds its way into the New Testament in John 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 14. In verses 1 and 2, we see how in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Uh, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. And, and in him is, is uh, life, and his life is the light of men, as John goes through. And then in verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt there carries with it this concept of tabernacling, or uh, it's intended by John to sort of draw together this picture of God meeting with man uh, in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle of the temple, in the New Testament now, in the person of Christ. Now, why do I talk about all these things? On, on this uh, on this on this on this particular day how do we bring Christ into this day of mourning over the temples being destroyed well again as we read in the beginning in Psalm 16 in your presence is fullness of joy you show me the paths of life and all of these things God's intention while he did dwell with man in these physical structures for a time, uh, in the time of the tabernacle, he dwelt in the Holy of Holies, that little section within this tabernacle. Uh, in the temple in Solomon's time, as Solomon is praying, God's presence uh, would be, that God would, 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 would dwell in this place. It's not worthy, that, that no structure is worthy to hold you, Solomon would say. But nonetheless, as he's praying, the glory of God floods that place and the smoke fills it and it just becomes this overwhelming scene. And God dwells there in the Holy of Holies, as it were, for, that, for a period of time until in Ezekiel's time, we find the glory of God departing from the temple because of the wickedness in the hearts of the priests uh, who were leading the people in their, in, uh, supposed to be leading the people in worship. But this idea of God meeting with man has always been in, uh, at the heart of, of why he created us. He created us that we might fellowship with him, that we might come to know him and enjoy him. Uh, we've quoted the creeds before, you know, the, what is the chief end of man? Uh, to know God and to, and to enjoy him forever and such, you know, and these ideas that have flowed throughout the history of the Christian church really find their roots all the way back in the very, very beginning. It's not just in the church age, but through all time, God is, is desired for us to come to him, that we might know him, that we might worship and enjoy him. Uh, and so in, even though he dwelt in these physical places for a time, his intention ultimately in that was simply to paint a picture of a far greater reality that was going to come even later. As Paul would describe it, this incredible mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This idea that God was not so much going to dwell in a, a physical place, a, a physical temple or tabernacle forever, but it was to indicate something, that he wanted to dwell with man not because he needed anything, but because he wants us to come and know him. It's for our benefit. It's for our uh, satisfaction of all that we were created for. It's for the fulfillment of all that God made us for, to know him. And so he created these places for that time. But in Christ, and through what Christ accomplished on the cross, 
that glory that led them in the wilderness, that glory that dwelt among the tabernacle, that glory that dwelt in the temple, now dwells within believers because of what Jesus finished. No longer is there a going beyond the veil, but the veil was torn open. And now we can come and we can draw close to him without fear, without shame. And not only that, but he even dwells within us. Um, years ago, uh, uh, back in the beginning of, uh, in the early years of the Calvary Chapel movement, there's all of these wonderful stories of Chuck Smith, uh, uh, who, uh, you know, essentially founded the movement. And, um, and, uh, and what a wonderful servants already had and all these kinds of things. But someone came to Chuck one day and uh, because some of the young kids back in the 60s and 70s, uh, a lot of the hippies were coming to, to faith and in large part because of, um, because of Calvary Chapel. There was a place they could come and they didn't have to clean themselves up before they came to church. They just started coming. And as they heard the word of God and as God began to work in their lives, he began to change them from the inside out. Well, this was early on and, and uh, somebody came up to Chuck one day because he noticed some of the kids were smoking in the sanctuary. And, uh, and so he said, Chuck, there's kids smoking in the, there's, they're smoking in the sanctuary. And Chuck kind of, you know, looked at him and said, well, actually, I think what you're trying to say is that the sanctuaries are smoking. And, and you know, it's a quaint, odd little thing. But, but the truth of the matter is, is that you and I as believers are now the sanctuary of God. It's no longer about the church building. It's no longer about the temple. It's no longer about the structure, the edifice that we go and we meet in. It's not about the stained glass windows. It's not about any of those things. It's not about a big crucifix on the wall or something. Those, those things are what they are. But we, we, we make a mistake if we think that that's really where our faith lies. If that's the, that, that, if that becomes the main thing about what it means to be a Christian. It's not about the structures. It's not about those things, but rather it's about Christ in us. It's about us being the sanctuary. It's about us being the place where Christ has chosen to dwell there in the hearts of, of, of those who believe him. And um, so rather than pour ourselves into rote religion, rather than pour ourselves into just the pious practices and such, we want to recognize the simple, essential truth of what it means to be a believer, someone who's put their trust in Christ. And now, because of that, God dwells in us. And therefore, it's no longer a matter of if something happens to the building, if, if something happens to the structure. Um, sadly, in the time we're living, uh, with all the rioting and looting going on, there have been churches that have been destroyed uh, in the process of that. And and no doubt that's heartbreaking. I mean, I, we, anyone would be heartbroken if the place they meet for worship uh, was destroyed. But at the end of the day, it's not really about the place. Worship doesn't stop because the building was destroyed. The body of Christ continues to, 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 to draw close to him, regardless of where we are, whether we're in a field, we're in the, uh, an office at home, whether we're at a church building, wherever we might be. And so this parallel that we can draw between the events that took place that are commemorated on a day like this, but yet the overarching theme of God's desire to meet with man, we reconcile that by recognizing it's, it's all about drawing close to him personally. And when we do, he draws near to us. He ultimately, even again, as we've said, indwells believers. Um, so on a day like this, where we remember this 
anguish, the sadness, the, the destruction, and, and these kinds of things. We, we come alongside our Jewish brothers and sisters, um, and we pray for them. And we pray that uh, as they mourn these things, and as they currently live in a time when they can't practice their faith biblically the way it was mandated in the Old Testament, because there's currently no temple. Um, as we pray for the days to come where a third temple will be built, you know, we understand this from Scripture, a temple will be built again. Uh, Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 24. Paul spoke about it when he wrote to the Thessalonians. Uh, once again, there will be great joy and excitement when this temple is being erected. And once again, there will be great disappointment and even fear and panic when it's desecrated by the Antichrist, again, as Paul speaks of. Um, we want to pray for our, our, our friends, our Jewish friends, that they would come to realize, as we've spoken of, that God has indeed desired to dwell with them. As a matter of fact, in Christ, he even desires to dwell in them. And all of their great history of seeing God move and lead them and dwell in places where they could come to worship, we want to pray that they come to recognize that in Yeshua, Mashiach, that in him, they no longer have to go to a place, but rather the glory of God himself dwells within them, can dwell within them when they come by faith. And the same as it is for you and I. If you're watching this today and, uh, and, and ideas like this are new for you, the idea that uh, I thought it was just about going to church and trying to be a good person and everything. Well, try as we might, we're never really going to be good enough. And so it has to be about more than that. We'd be lost. We'd be forever separated from God if it was really left to our own efforts. Because as hard as we try, we always stumble and fall at some point. We always fall short of the glory of God, as Paul would say in Romans 3. And so what do we do with that? How do we deal with that? Well, again, Jesus has come into the world, the Son of God, God himself in human flesh, not just walking among us to teach us how to be good people. He instructed us on what it means to walk in righteousness and holiness. But ultimately, he came here to go to a cross to pay a debt, your debt and mine. It was the debt that was pictured in all of the sacrifices that took place in the tabernacle and both temples and, and, all of, and, and such. And that was all a picture of the final sacrifice that would be made in Christ, all the lambs that were sacrificed all those years in the Jewish rituals and that, as prescribed by God, painted a picture, ultimately, of the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And now we come by faith. That offering's been made. That debt's been paid. When Jesus went to the cross, he paid for your sins and mine once and for all. And he opened the gates, as it were, to a right relationship with God, one that is based on faith and not on our efforts, one where the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, and no longer do we have to stand on the outside afraid, but we can come in as invited sons and daughters, all because of the finished work of Christ. And so as we bring this episode of our podcast to a close, what I'd like to do is pray for any who are watching that have never done business with God, have never come honestly and openly confessing that we're sinners and we need him and we need the forgiveness that he has afforded us in Christ. So I'll invite you to pray with me now that you might receive the grace of God and his forgiveness and his favor and all of the things that come with being a child of God. Will there be hardships? Absolutely. Will it always be easy? Of course not. But you'll never walk alone. 
Jesus said to his disciples he would never leave them nor forsake them. He said that the Holy Spirit would dwell within believers, sealing us, as Paul would describe, as a guarantee that one day we'll stand in his presence. No fear that that won't happen. Uh, he also said his Father and he would, would make their home with us uh, as we walk through life in that. And so there is such fullness of joy in his presence. And his presence now goes with us wherever we are as children of God. So let me invite you to become one even right now. So pray with me if you would. Father, we just thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the pictures you've painted in scripture. We thank you that even in, uh, even in the destruction of that holy place where you were worshiped, you have given us sort of a, a point to, to, to start from to realize that it's always been about more than the physical location. It's always been about more than just the, the bricks and the, the stones piled on each other. Uh, uh, and, and a place to come to, but rather these things painted a picture that would one day be fulfilled in Christ. Even as Paul said, the holy days, the festivals, all these things are but a shadow, but the substance, the reality is Christ. And so we pray that we would realize that and embrace that. Those of us who are believers, Father, help us to realize that it's not about our practices per se. These practices might glorify you. These practices might remind us uh, of, 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 of you in some way or another. But ultimately, our relationship with you isn't based on those things. It's based on a living, breathing, daily walk with the one who has set us free from our sins in Christ. And so help us to dive into your presence, as it were, to come beyond the veil boldly and obtain mercy in our time of need, to walk in the grace that has been given to us so that when we fail and we screw up, that, Lord, you're there to pick us up and keep us on our feet walking until that day when, sealed by the Holy Spirit, we can confidently know that we have eternal life and will be in your presence for just unashamed forever. Lord, thank you that you don't seek to dwell any longer in, in structures built by hands, but rather in hearts that you have fashioned to be your dwelling place. And Father, for those watching today who are ready to come and become a child of God, who are ready to receive that forgiveness and grace that you so graciously give, that you so freely lavish upon sinners like us, I just pray for them right now that they would come before you honestly and openly and receive that which you so desire to give them. If that's you, then pray with me now. Heavenly Father, I confess to you I am a sinner. I am absolutely a lawbreaker. I've done my own thing, I've gone my own way, and I've kept you at, at best at arm's length. But generally, I have not even thought about you. But Father, I realize that I need you. My biggest problem is my sin, and I need your grace. So Father, thank you that you sent your Son to pay for my sins, once and for all, at the cross. And that now I can simply receive that which you freely give, your forgiveness and your grace. And as I receive Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, I thank you for your forgiveness and the grace that you give me. I pray that you'd help me to walk with you every day until I see you face to face, following the one who died for my sins and rose again to everlasting life. I long to see you, uh, Father, unashamed, unafraid, forgiven and free. So thank you for changing me from a lost sinner to a found son or daughter. I just praise you and thank you for this, Lord, and I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. One last thought on this whole idea of, of 
of worship and the places built with hands and that. It's interesting. I didn't think to look up the passages. We can find them. But there's a there's an instance or two where God um, uh, encourages an altar to be built. But rather than using tools to build and chisel something out, he instead says to pile up the dirt and rocks right there in the area. And that would become the altar. And, um, and, and I'm always enamored with that idea, the thought that it's that for all of our capacity to build beautiful structures, and there are some glorious structures that have been built to the glory of God, but for all of our efforts, nothing really compares to that which God himself has made. And he also doesn't want to get lost in, 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 in the worship in a place where maybe we're draw, our attention is drawn to something other than him. Look at how beautiful this place is or, or such. And then we sort of begin to become enamored with the place rather than the Lord. And so there's something beautiful about the simplicity of God fashioning that place where he's to be worshipped. As a matter of fact, again, he fashioned our hearts to be his dwelling place ultimately. Something he put together, not ourselves. And so let's worship him from that place, from the deepest place of our hearts. That place where he invites us to come and meet with him daily and to walk with him. So if you have any thoughts or questions, and certainly by all means, if you pray to receive Christ today, I invite you to reach out to me. Let me know that, whether it's through the comments on YouTube uh, on this video or whether it's um, emailing me through our church website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. You can also contact me and comment on the uh, the video or, or uh, email me through my personal website at parsonspad.com. And uh, I would love to hear from you, especially if you've received Christ. And I want to make sure you have a Bible, maybe even help you find a church nearby you. Certainly invite you to come visit us here in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, and uh, we'd love to, I'd love to meet you. The church would love to meet you. And it's good for you to get into a church, whether it's ours or one close to home, that you can grow alongside of other believers in your faith. And so uh, if you have any other thoughts or comments, as always, I invite you to, to let me know. I love interacting with you uh, through these things. So God bless you, and uh, we'll catch up with you next time. And uh, until then, God bless you as you walk with the Lord.